this morning we return to the book of James. James chapter 5, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn there with me. If you don't have a copy, uh, you can simply grab your insert and follow along uh, as we read. We can definitely see the finish line in our study of this letter. Maybe you think uh, I've been saying that too much. Maybe I've been saying that every week, but it's true. Two more weeks, Lord willing, two more weeks after this week, and we'll be through uh, the book of James. As, I, uh, as we return to this book and to our passage this morning, I want to give an upfront disclaimer um, that we're not going to cover everything in this passage today. I'm not going to satisfy your every curiosity. I, I may not do that anyway, but certainly I'm not going to do that today. And so this is, a, uh, this is a plug for, you'll have to return next week if you want the full picture, if you want the end of the story. Originally, maybe uh, you could argue foolishly I was going to preach this entire passage uh, this morning, but then as I began to work through it, things just simply got way way too long. And so this is now become part one of what will be a two-part series on these very verses, verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 5. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. Uh, this is what we do, is uh, we work our way through books of the Bible and just think about them, and uh, I try to explain them that the Lord might apply them to our lives. And so we find ourselves here in a long-standing study. We began back in, in August, actually, when I returned from sabbatical. So it's been quite a while. We're almost through James chapter 5. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 5, 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot for us this morning to consider here in this passage. There are a lot of topics that are introduced, a lot of things that we could explore, a lot of roads that we could go down, and I trust as I do every Lord's Day that the Holy Spirit will have His way with you individually as you come in here with 
your own experiences with your own thoughts from this morning, the own, your own wrestlings of your own heart. But I'd like for us as a church to meditate on and to unpack two wonderful realities that I see from this passage and that the Lord has gripped me with this week as I've opened up God's Word. And the first one is this, God invites you to embrace Him. God invites you to embrace Him. My daughter in college in Georgia, she called me last week. She texted me yesterday. And then this morning, early this morning, as I was reading over my notes to preach to you, she actually texted me three words. I miss you. As a dad still adjusting to one of his children, being far from home, this is a big deal. I love hearing from her. I even love hearing from her when all she wants is something. <laughs> she wrote it in a text to her mother, don't tell her I said this, but I guess the internet will reveal this. If you guys are sending me a package, she writes to her mother, I would love, hint, hint, if you could put some Keurig cups in it because I need them. Apparently, they don't sell curry cups in Georgia. I guess they don't have grocery stores there, but no, she's saving her money for other things. And I would love some nuts too, or some trail mix or something like that. So Anna told me about this text, and, and what did I, as her father, do? Well, I got on Amazon, and I made her a box of K-cups and trail mix, and it'll arrive at her school mailbox on Tuesday. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, I want you to frame this passage this morning, not in the context of duty. I just need to, I just need to pray more, right? This is about prayer. I need to pray more. But I want you to frame it in the context of relationship. And more than merely an invitation to prayer, though it is that, I want you to see this as an invitation of, from God, from a personal God that desires relationship with you. This is a personal God and a personal invitation for you to experience one of the means of grace that He has given to you. This is a triune God, as I've said before, who has gloried in relationship between the persons of the Trinity for all eternity. That is the God that we've come to worship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who have dwelled in loving relationship for all eternity and the love that they've experienced has overflowed in creating us. And now through the work of Jesus, this triune God glories in you sharing and enjoying that love that He has experienced for all eternity. What a wonderful picture the gospel gives us. After all, what are we doing when we pray? 
We are recognizing and confessing our dependence and His sufficiency, our weakness and His sovereignty, His presence, His love, all things which the Father delights in His children, all things which I delight in my children to a much lesser degree. And so God invites you this morning through James chapter 5 to embrace Him no matter what, no matter when. I mean, that's where it starts. If anyone is suffering, pray. If anyone is cheerful, sing praise. One commentator I read says this, helpfully so. Here then, in two words, are all of life's experience... And each of them in turn can so easily be the occasion of spiritual upset. Trouble can give rise to an attitude of surly rebellion against God and equally times of ease and affluence beget complacency, laziness, and the assumption that we are able of ourselves to cope with life and that God is forgotten. And so God invites you in all of life to embrace Him. Embrace Him in the suffering, right? If anyone is suffering, pray, whether it be the need for relief. I I just look through, I open up the book of Psalms, and I look through the first 10 Psalms to, to look for language to give us when we're suffering. Whether it be the need for relief, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning, Psalm 5.1. Whether it be for vindication in our suffering, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked, Psalm 3.7. Maybe it be for healing, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for I am languishing, Psalm 6, verse 2. And then finally, for strength, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a strong hold in times of trouble, Psalm 9-9. Embrace Him in your suffering, but not just in the suffering, embrace Him in the joy. Sing. If anyone is cheerful among you, sing, James says. Worship, Colossians 3.15, let the Word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. As important as we as Reformed Presbyterians believe that preaching is, what we're doing right now me proclaiming and you listening and absorbing. The singing that we just did, it's not appetizer. It's not hors d'oeuvres in our Lord's Day worship. That singing is, is part of the main course. And you need to see it as such for the glory of God and for your own hearts. And of course, song not doesn't need to wait until we come into here until Leandra leads us with the piano, but in our homes, in our cars, in our prayer closets, our songs are the evidence of hearts embracing a good Father. Are you cheerful? Sing, James says. 
Embrace the Lord in suffering. Embrace Him in joy. John Calvin, one of our heroes, wrote, there is no time in which God does not invite us to Himself. And so that's where we begin this morning. That's just one verse, verse 13. You can see the problem I ran into as I started to unpack these verses. But as you pray and as you sing, in the context of your pain, in the context of your gladness, you do so in large measure in the context of the body. And that's where I want to spend most of our time this morning. Yes, God invites you to embrace Him in your suffering, in your gladness, in prayer, in song. But the second truth is this. God invites you to embrace His body. God invites you to embrace His body. And of course, when I say embrace His body, I am talking about you. I'm talking about the church. Some of you are arms, some of you are legs, some of you are eyes, some of you are ears. Together we make up the functioning, beautiful body of Jesus here on earth. In James chapter 5, these verses invite you to embrace this body. You need the church. Now, let me unpack this for the next few minutes. At the time in the writing of this letter, the writing and the hearing of this letter, the church as we have come to know it, Jew and Gentile, united under one Lord and one faith and one baptism, that church was in its infancy, right? Jesus had just ascended. God's people had long been on the earth, but the church as we have come to know it was in its infancy. And yet even here, God's design for the rule and care of His people is evident. And it begins with the elders, the the men that God has called to lead Local expressions, individual congregations of God's people. Verse 14, there's the scenario of sickness. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, James doesn't tell us What kind of sickness is happening here? The Greek word literally could be translated simply weak. So it could be physical sickness, it could be mental sickness, it could be a combination of both. It's significant, it's probably more than a common cold, but it's not necessarily a deathbed moment. And that's important for you to understand. This is not necessarily a deathbed moment. I want you to hear that because in part, I don't want you to think of what James is asking the church to do here as a last resort. One of my kids, who will remain nameless, had been struggling with sickness this week. And they came to me yesterday and they said, Dad, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. What else can I do to get well? And their mother had already gone on a plane to San Diego and said, I don't know, call your mother. I don't know. 
No, I said, I don't know what else you can do. This is not, in James chapter 5, this is not a, I've tried everything else, so I guess I'll call the elders. It's not that kind of moment. Yes, you need medicine. You need health professionals. They are gifts from the Lord to you. But ultimately, you simply need the Lord. And you need to embrace His body. None of the things that I've mentioned, medicine, healthcare professionals, none of that is effective outside of the Lord. Of course we would say that. And conversely, we'd also say that the Lord can be effective outside of any of that stuff. We say that, but do we really believe it? David declares in Psalm 20, Verse 7, some trust in chariots and in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So what exactly is going on here? Well, most of you have probably never been a part of something like this, but I have. Your elders have. Because what James directs the church here to do is for us. This is not some archaic first century ritual that we ought to just steer clear of. This is as relevant today as it was then. And so I want to spend a few minutes just picking it apart a little bit. Three things under this scenario of embracing the body of Christ. It begins with a call to the elders, right? Someone's sick. James says, call the elders. This is important because real practically, your elders, the men that God has lead, has led and has called to, to shepherd you, we are not omniscient. In fact, we wish we found out about a lot of stuff before we find out about it. And I know it's not easy to do. I know when you're, you, when you're in a situation where you're sick and suffering and racked in pain and you don't want to be a squeaky wheel, maybe you think that we've got more important things to do. Let me assure you, you aren't being a squeaky wheel and we don't have more important things to do. Now, God has gifted this church, Ascension Presbyterian, with a, with a wonderful group of men to shepherd you. I can speak for all of them when I say we want to know you. We want to care for you. And James chapter 5 is an invitation for you to embrace him to embrace his body. Begins with a call to the elders. Then comes the oil. Oh, here we go. Pastor, this is just proof that essential oils are so biblical, right? <laughs> Not exactly. I'm all for essential oils, but 
This is not a proof text for essential oils. What is this oil? Well, there's no doubt there were various kinds of oils used in the ancient world as there are today with great effectiveness. Oils that were used as medicine in the ancient world. Think of the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan used oil to bring healing to the man who had been assaulted on the road to Jericho. But of course, oil is not effective in every illness. It's not useful for every kind of sickness scenario. So there must be something more going on here than simply a medicinal use of oil. If you have a rash and you need to put oil on it, you don't need to call the elders to come over and put oil on your rash. We'd rather not do that. Others have said that what's going on here is sacramental, that there is divine grace being dispensed through this physical sign, much like the Lord's table. The problem with that is that both words that are used here for anoint and for oil are not the ones that are used for sacred holy uses such as ordaining priests. They're actually rather mundane words. This isn't, I don't think, a ceremonial anointing. This isn't some special oil. What this is is symbolic. Of course, it finds its origins. I think we would want to say that. It finds its origins in the healing properties of oil in the ancient world for so many things. But what the Lord is doing through the anointing of oil is He's tying our physical world to spiritual realities. Right? The anointing of oil is an acknowledgement that we believe the Lord will act in our physical world. Through the spiritual exercise of of prayer. The only other time this is spoken of, anointing with oil, is in Mark chapter 6, verse 13, where we read, They cast out many demons and anointed with oil those who were sick and healed them. That's speaking of the apostles' ministry. And so this symbol of healing set apart the individual and acknowledged the physicality of his or her need. And so don't think too much of the oil. I'm not saying it's not insignificant. It's a gift of God. It's a sign, a symbol of God. But it's not magic. And it's not mere medicine. It's symbolic And so the elders have been called, the oil has been brought and put on the individual, and then prayer happens. That's the third aspect of this scene. The elders, on behalf of the individual suffering in sickness, pray with earnestness for their strength, for their comfort, for their peace, and ultimately, we would say, for their healing, right? That's the point. So what happens then? Well, we're going to skip verse 15. We're going to skip the prayer of faith. We're going to skip being made well. That's part two. 
next week. That's a good teaser. That's a good teaser trailer right there. We'll come back to verse 15 next week. But for now, I want us to just embrace or remember and embrace his church. To think about that truth. First through the calling of the elders, but there's another embracing of the church that James fleshes out here in James chapter 5. It's also through your brothers and sisters. Yes, it's taking hold of the men that God has called to shepherd and to lead and our desire to pray and to know and to care for you. But the first part of verse 15 says this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, you don't just need the elders praying for you. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ praying for you. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens, he says to the church there, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You need to be known and you need to know others. And part of this is through confession. There's not only a command to confession here, but there's an assumption that there's a relationship between our sin, maybe unconfessed sin, and sickness. And I want to I talk about both of those things as I try to wrap this up. First, let me talk about the encouragement to confess our sin to one another. Here's the simple reality, folks. Sin thrives in darkness. Sin thrives in isolation. Sin thrives in private. And that's why James invites the church to embrace the body through confession. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor. Many of you know that name, German pastor during World War II. We wouldn't agree with every theological position he held. That's true of most guys. But he wrote a very helpful and quotable book called Life Together. And in it, he writes this, Sin demands to have man by himself. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And I say amen to that. Confess your sins to one another. Now this is not, this is not meeting Nate in a confessional or in, in my office or meeting with another man or a woman and just laying it all out there, spending 45 minutes, here we go. This is not confession of every thought and word and deed to every person at ascension. I'm not saying that. This is having short accounts with people that you have hurt, that you have sinned against for sure, but this is also fostering relationships within the body of Christ where you can be real about your struggles where you can be real about your sin. Again, not every sin is laid bare. But sin is confessed 
at least in some relationships, in some context, some sin is confessed. Not every public sin, excuse me, not just every public sin that everyone would find out about, not just every relational sin that puts a fracture between you and another person, but even the sin that you have hidden in your heart. Bonhoeffer, in the same book, has another helpful quote. He says, this about the act of confession. He says, confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. It hurts. It cuts a man down. It's a dreadful blow to pride. In the confession of concrete sins, the old man does a painful, shameful death before the eyes of a brother. Remember last week, I spoke about us being people of truth. That's part of the call of the gospel. As First John says, we are people who are called to walk in the light as He is in the light. And I think that's partly what James is talking about here. In the appropriate contexts, let me say that again, in the appropriate contexts, let's be real about our brokenness. Let's strive to embrace one another boldly in confession that we might strive to boldly return that confession with a proclamation of gospel forgiveness in Christ. That's just speaking the gospel to one another. God invites you to embrace His church. And I think confession is is part of it. It's something I try to practice even with the elders in this church. God invites you to embrace the body. But returning to our text, and we'll end here, the context here, remember, is sickness. So what is the, what's the connection between sickness and unconfessed sin? Is there a connection ever between sickness and unconfessed sin? Well, here's the short answer. Sickness is not always the result of sin, but it can be. Not always. Well, James, uh, excuse me, uh, Job's friends, remember all that they tried to pin on him? For all that he was going through, you must have done something, man. The disciples asked Jesus in John chapter 9, whose sin Jesus made this man blind? And what did Jesus say? It wasn't his sin. It wasn't his parents' sin. It was so that the Father could be glorified through this very act. So sickness is not always a result of sin, but then let me ask you this. Have you ever worried so much that your head literally hurt? Have you ever had such fear that an ulcer formed in your body? See, we would say even from a scientific level that sin, though the world may not call worry or fear sin, sin can make us sick, literally sick, and not just from stress, but in all kinds of mysterious ways. The Corinthian church, they physically suffered from their abuse of God's table, this table. Jesus told the invalid after he had been healed in John chapter 5, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And this is not first century ignorance. 
Certainly in the first century, we might say, we could say, that sickness was often over-spiritualized, right? That's why the disciples asked Jesus the question. They just assumed that there was this connection. But here we're reminded, for us in our modern ears, here we're reminded that in our modern world of over-rationalizing everything, that we live, and you've heard me say this phrase before, that we live in an enchanted world. That's what James is reminding us of, that we live in an enchanted world, an enchanted world where we walk by faith and not by sight, an enchanted world where we believe that there is always more than meets the eye, an enchanted world where sin and sickness can drive us to our knees and back to Christ. And that's what it should do. It should drive us to embrace the one who can heal every disease and who has healed you through his life and death. And so embrace the body through confession. I'm not going to declare your sickness, sin. I I don't have that right. I can't make that judgment. It's a mystery. But this is what the Bible teaches. Embrace the Lord in your suffering, in your joy. Embrace His body in confession in times of need. I'll end with this question, does your life, your suffering and your joy, your landmark moments and your mundane ones, do they reveal self-sufficiency? Do they reveal a desire to save face at all costs? Or do they reveal a life striving to embrace the grace that God gives? I pray the latter. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this good word from Your servant, James. And we confess, I confess, my own desire so often to to hide the real Nate, to live in the shadows rather than walk in the light to be more concerned about my reputation than the glory of Christ. Oh, Father, may this Word do its work in our lives, do its work in this community of faith. That Ascension Presbyterian might be a safe place where we can be real with our struggles, where we cannot fear judgment or criticism, but we can only look forward to and expect the healing balm of the gospel to be spoken into our need. Oh, Father, I pray that you would work this in us for our good and the glory of your name. 
In Jesus' name, amen.